We are in part three today of a series that we're calling Praying Like Jesus. And I, I hope today helps to grow our prayer life because that's what we've been talking about. And as, as we've said throughout this series, prayer is kind of uh, a universal thing. At some point, probably everybody prays. Probably everybody in this room, you've prayed. You've prayed some kind of prayer. And your prayer might have been, you know, hey, God, if you're really there. Hey, God, if, if there really is a God. Hey, God, if you're really listening. Hey, God, if you really care. We could be talking about that kind of prayer. Maybe there was a season in your life when you prayed very regularly. Uh, it was an important part of your relationship with God. You would say it was even more than a spiritual discipline for you. It was a vital part of your everyday relationship with your Heavenly Father. But maybe somewhere along the line, you got frustrated. And so maybe after enough frustration, you just stopped praying. And for some, uh, maybe then prayer is something you just do regularly. And if you're being honest, you, you, you'd have to admit that sometimes it just feels like an obligation. It's something you do because you're a good Christian, and it's what good Christians do. For some of you, prayer is an opportunity to grow deeper in your faith and in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. So at the very beginning of this series, we said that prayer is not a button to be pushed. Like if we pray the right way, if we pray often enough, if we pray hard enough, if we, we can somehow unlock the combination, we'll be able to push the button and we'll get the outcome that we're praying for. We've said that prayer is not a button to be pushed, but it's a relationship to be pursued. Perhaps the surprising element of Christianity for you maybe is that this, this thing isn't just about us pursuing God. This is about God pursuing us. That, that's a completely different story. So we've taken some time to work through what we know as the Lord's Prayer that we find in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. And of course, anytime that we're in a series like this, um, I, I encourage you to go back and watch or listen to any of the messages that you missed. And I, I know sometimes that's hard to keep track of because you never know who's going to be teaching on any given Sunday. And sometimes Pastor Bob is in a series and I'm not. And sometimes I'm teaching in a series and he isn't. And sometimes we're both in two different series because we can't get on. We just don't know how to organize our thoughts. But our, here's the thing. Our, our podcast and the messages on our website uh, are a great tool for you to use, and we hope that you are using them. Of course, uh, if you subscribe to our podcast, you'll get the audio from every message automatically in your podcast app. And if you're like, pod what now? Never mind, just keep listening. The audio from every sermon is there in the podcast feed, every sermon from 2014 when we first launched our podcast. But if you'd prefer to watch the videos, you can watch on demand anytime. Now, that's different from doing church online. That's where you click the watch button on the church website, uh, and it's only available at 10 o'clock on Sunday. But if you go to the tab that says messages, you can find all of those messages, all those videos of our messages, all the way back, all the way back to when we first turned on the camera uh, about a year and a half ago, all right? So there's lots of opportunity for you to catch up. So I don't want you to feel like uh, there's no need to jump into the middle of a series and feel like you... Um, don't know what's going on or it came in in the middle of the movie, all right? So just there's an opportunity there for you to catch up. Now, that's the end of that infomercial. When we started this off a few weeks ago, we acknowledged that prayer can be frustrating and that, believe it or not, there are some uh, really common frustrations. Like it's incredibly consistent across uh, the board when we start to talk about and voicing our frustrations with prayer. And obviously, one of the biggest ones is 
the most common frustrations is the whole idea of God not answering our prayers. So today, I want to talk about when God is late answering our prayer, and then before we wrap up this series, we're going to talk about when God is silent or when God says no. So what we um, experience, what we feel sometimes in terms of frustration in prayer and our frustration with God in our unanswered prayer, it, it, it feels sometimes like God isn't really paying attention. And, and that feeling is common. And you, here's the thing. You don't have to lose faith over that. And so what I thought might be helpful today is to kind of get us on the same page and, and maybe begin with a question that all of us have asked. If, if you're a Christian, you've asked this. If you're, you're not a Christian, you've probably asked this. If you came from another religious tradition, you've asked this. If you aren't sure if there's a personal God, he's more like a force or a higher authority. You don't know how all that works, but you've probably asked this. And the question is this, why doesn't God do something about that? Now, the interesting thing about that in this question is you don't have to think very hard to come up with a that. Isn't that true? Some of you are sitting next to that. Some of you used to sit next to that, and that's not so funny. Some of you, that is back at home. Some of you work for that. Some of you work with that. Some of you gave birth to that. Then there's the more serious stuff, okay? There's illness, there's poverty, there's oppression, there's racial tension, there's political tension, there's COVID. You know, watch the news, read a, I was gonna say read a paper. Does anybody read a paper? I don't know. Read the news, however you get your news. And you're like, God, why don't you do something about that? Now listen, if you've ever asked the question, either out loud, toward God, in a conversation, or if you've ever just asked the question in your mind, or maybe a question similar, God, why don't you do something about that? Would you just raise your hand if you've ever asked a question similar to that? That question or something, just keep it up for a second, keep your hand up for a second. If you've ever asked a question like that, don't put your hand down yet. Now look around, just look around. I just want you to look around, okay? The point is, that's almost everybody, all right? You can put your hand down now. This is important. Because if we stopped right now and, and just went home right now, this is a big lesson right here because we need to know that we can maintain faith, we can continue to believe, we can continue to trust God even though there are some things we don't understand. Even though there are some things we don't understand why God doesn't do something about that. And here's what's so amazing. Jesus, when he walked on the earth, was so concerned about this question, God, why don't you do something about that, that he decided not to teach on the subject Instead, he allowed a situation to develop where there was a that. And some people would say, God, why don't you do something about that? And then he didn't do anything about that so that we would know how to respond when God doesn't do something about that. Did you follow that? It sounds a little bit like Dr. Seuss. Sorry about that. But in this account, Jesus created an illustration he created his own drama so he could dip into the circumstance to explain to us that we can continue to believe. We can continue to trust in him even when we're wondering why God doesn't do something about that. This story is found in John chapter 11. If you want to follow along, brought your Bible, you're sitting somewhere where you're under a light, or if you have your phone, you want to follow along the Bible app, we're also going to have it on the screen. I'm going to read most of this chapter. If you grew up in church, this is a very familiar story to you probably. Uh, when I read the first line, you already know the end of the story. 
Because you can picture it on the flannel graph from your Sunday school and VBS days. Oh, a handful of you, okay. But let's just approach this like we've never heard this story before. If you can just kind of set all that aside, and we're going to try to listen to this with fresh ears today. Of course, when John wrote this, uh, the people who were reading it for the first time, um, the people who didn't witness it firsthand, they didn't know the end of the story. So you can imagine, there was so much drama here, there was so much emotion, and I think if we look at this with fresh eyes, we find ourselves in the story. Because here's the thing, just before I read from John 11, all of us have experienced a time, maybe you're there right now, where God seems to be uncooperative inattentive, or late, uncooperative, inattentive, or late. So I want to look at this story about a man. Jesus knew his name. They were close friends. Jesus was concerned about him. Yet he went through a situation where he wondered if God was being inattentive. Why was he being so uncooperative? Why was he so late? And what I want to talk about today, I'll be honest, it's not very emotionally satisfying, okay? You probably won't leave here this morning saying, oh, I feel so much better about the stuff going on in my life. Thanks, Pastor Todd, for the warm fuzzies today. I don't expect to hear any of those comments, uh, and that's okay. This isn't so we can feel better about something. This is about in those dark moments when you're hanging on, when your faith is bruised and beaten, and you're wondering, can I still believe God? Can I still trust God? We just need to know that in the past, people who God loved very much, he allowed them to experience similar things to what you're experiencing right now, and he's still God. He's still loving Heavenly Father. He still loved them, and he still loves and cares about you. So, John chapter 11, this is a famous story, let's check it out. A man named Lazarus was sick. You're like, oh, I know this story, hang with me. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. Bethany is just a few miles from Jerusalem. John gives this little parenthetical explanation that doesn't mean a lot to us, but it would mean a lot to those who heard the story for the first time, okay? Verse 2. This Mary, because there were so many Marys, in fact, we're even confused about Marys. And if you really dig into this, you're going to find a little bit of confusion even about this verse. But John says, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And in the first century, the people, when they first read that, John's contemporaries, I think they're like, oh, that Mary. Okay, we heard about that. That was a crazy kind of thing. We heard about that. We know which Mary you're talking about. So that was a big deal, and that's why he mentions that. The story continues, verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Now, Jesus is about, a, is about a day and a half's walk away. So they sent word to Jesus, and here's the message they sent. Lord, the one you love is sick. How would you like to be known as the one Jesus loved. Like they didn't even have to know or say his name. I think when he introduced himself, Lazarus, when he introduced himself, he's like, nice to meet you. I'm the one Jesus loves. And like, well, good for you. He comes into church, puts on a name tag, the one Jesus loves, you know. I'm sure if he lived in Maine, he'd have a vanity plate that said, the one Jesus loves, you know. They sent this message to Jesus knowing this, that they'd seen Jesus heal strangers. 
They'd seen Jesus stand out in the hot sun with a line of people waiting to be healed, and he healed them. Sometimes he'd do this all day long, and this is the one Jesus loved, so they sent this message. Hey, the one you love is sick. So they fully, here's the thing, they fully expected that he would drop what he was doing and come heal him. Story continues, verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, and then Jesus creates a category, brand new category for some of us. Ready? No, it, the sickness, is for God's glory. Sickness for God's glory. Like, what? Jesus, why is Lazarus sick for God's glory? Wait, 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 wait. Sickness is a bad thing. And I think Jesus is saying, no, this sickness is for God's glory. Why? So that God's Son may be glorified through it. This is a new category. This is a brand new way of thinking. Jesus is about to bring light into the darkness and to bring hope where they didn't see any hope at all. And John, who's writing this story, realizes that this story is about to take a, a, a crazy turn. So he, I think he just steps aside and writes a note of commentary here. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So it's like, why are you telling us this, uh, John? Why is this, why is this important? I think he's saying because you aren't going to believe what happens next. Based on what you know about their relationship that they all love each other very much, you're not going to believe it. In fact, based on what happens next, you're going to think that Jesus doesn't love Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So before I tell you what happens next, I just need you to know that Jesus didn't just know them. He didn't just meet them at one of his events. He didn't just like them. He says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, so John's going like, did you get that? Are we clear on that? Are you getting the picture of this relationship? So yeah, yeah, John, we get it. This is important because you've got to hang on to that because you're not going to believe this in light of what happens next. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. But John, you just told us that he loved Mary and Martha and he loved Lazarus. So like, even if he wasn't that crazy about Lazarus, but he loved Mary and Martha. Like, he loved his family. So they're like, can you help out? Wouldn't he go help out if you love these people? Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. <laughs> then he said to his disciples, after two days, the disciples are there, messenger shows up. You know, hey, Jesus, you have a message. One you love is sick. Disciples all get up, gather their things because they think they're going to Bethany because that's what you do when someone you love is sick. And Jesus is like, uh, have a seat, guys. Wait, chill out. We're, we're, not, we're not going anywhere yet. Two days later, he says, let's go back to Judea. Let's head over towards Bethany and see what's going on over there. Verse 8. <laughs> but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? So like Jesus, when the Jews try to stone you, here's what happens. See, sometimes they miss and they hit us, okay? So we don't really want to go back to Judea, to Bethany, anywhere in Judea for that matter, because the Jewish leaders who want to get rid of you are just waiting for you to come back, and they've been working on their aim, and they're, trying, they're going to kill you. They just didn't want to go. And they act like they're trying to protect Jesus, but uh, they're kind of also trying to protect themselves. And Jesus does what he always did. He does something that doesn't really help the story move along. This doesn't make the story more believable. They sat there two days, and the disciples, I think, kind of forgot about Lazarus, okay? 
And then Jesus says, all right, guys, let's go to Judea. And they're like, but remember, if we go there, we might get stoned. And in verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? And they're like, what? What are we talking about? When did you change? You changed the subject. You do this all the time, Jesus. Were we just talking about going to Judea and trying to outrun the rocks they're throwing at it? Why, what are we talking about? I know this probably has to do with Lazarus, but I'm not making the connection. Jesus says, aren't there 12 hours of daylight? And they're like, yeah, but what? In this moment, it's just so brilliant. Jesus does a little teaching, and they have no idea what he's talking about. So John, I think, is like, be quiet, guys. i got to write this down because I'm keeping track of all this. I'm going to write this down. I don't know what it means, but I'm going to write it down. So John writes it down. When you get to the end of the story and you read the whole book of John, here's what I think Jesus is saying to them. He says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. And they're like, uh-huh, okay. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. This is so important, listen. What Jesus is talking about is opportunity. That half the day when the sun's up, there's an opportunity to do things. But when the sun goes down, you lose your opportunity. And what he's saying is, guys, you can't, we can't just, you, I mean, look, you can stay here if you want, but I'm not going to be here very long, right? So like, there's a compressed timeline here. Eventually, I'm leaving, and it's sooner than you think. And when I leave this earth, the light is going to go out, and you're back in darkness. So you need to learn all that you can learn right now about how God works and about how your Heavenly Father relates to you. So if you'll just follow me to Bethany, I'm going to give you a candle that you can carry with you for the rest of your lives through the darkness of your life, because I'm about to introduce you to something that you probably won't learn any other way. So while you have the opportunity, get up, pack up our things, let's go, follow me to Judea. I know you're afraid, I know you're concerned about what might, what might happen to me or to you there, but if you, if you just stay here, you're going to miss the opportunity of a lifetime, because I'm about to give you a light that will serve you the rest of your life, because when I leave this earth, that light's going out, and the opportunity to see what I want to show you is limited, so let's go. Verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And the disciples replied, because they didn't want to go, right? They're going to give Jesus medical advice. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. If he's asleep, that's a good sign. He's going to be fine. We don't need to go to Judea. He's asleep. He's resting. He's recovering. You've given God medical advice before. There's no shortage of it right now, right? So why don't I share some with God too? All you need to do, God, all you need to do, God, is this. That's all you need to do. That's all I'm asking you to do, God. Just do this and everything will be good. And then if you'll do that, sound familiar? The disciples, their concern isn't Lazarus. They just don't want to take this risk and go to Judea. Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, it's like, come on, dummies, Lazarus is dead. And Jesus makes what is probably the most insensitive statement in the entire New Testament. It's certainly one of the most insensitive things that he ever says. He turns to his closest followers and he says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. You knew he was going to die. Yes. 
So, so wait, you let Mary and Martha care for their brother until he died? Yes. And you knew he was going to die, and you didn't go on purpose? Yes. And you're glad we weren't there to save the one you love? Yes. Okay, Jesus, we know you're big into like illustrations that no one understands, but what could be so important for us to learn? What could be so important that you would allow the one you love to die? He says, so that you may believe. Let's go to him. So Jesus, let's get this straight. It's so valuable to you that we believe in you, that you would allow someone you love to die in order to bring us to like a mature understanding of you. Yes, that's important to me. It's that important. And that was a new category. For some of us, that messes with our theology. That Jesus created a that so we could understand what to do when God doesn't do what we think God should do about that. Verse 16. Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go (laughs) that we may die with him. I kind of read this in Eeyore's voice. (laughs) We may die with him. (laughs) Now you're getting it. Lazarus is dead. The Jews are going to stone Jesus. They're going to stone us. What is the point of even going? It's going to be a massive funeral. Nobody's going to even notice if we're not there. But, you know, let's go to Judea and I'll die with Lazarus. Here's what happens, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Here's where we got to press pause and understand the drama of this moment. Because see, while Jesus waited, back in Bethany, Lazarus is dying without morphine. He's dying without palliative care. They don't even know what he's dying of. There's nothing they can do to ease the pain. They sent a message to Jesus, and you know what happened? You know what happened because you have your own version of this. Maybe you've experienced it. Mary and Martha, they're caring for Lazarus the best they know how. They're wiping the sweat off of his face and trying to make him comfortable, and they're like, don't worry, Lazarus, don't worry. We sent for Jesus. He's on his way. He'll be here. We know he got the message. Mary, why don't you go stand up by the road and tell us when you see Jesus coming? We've seen him heal total strangers, hundreds of them. We've seen him heal Gentiles and Romans. We know he'll be here. We don't have to worry. Let's just keep Lazarus as comfortable as we can till Jesus gets here. And they waited, and they waited, and the community waited, and the community watched as Mary and Martha waited, and they waited, and then Lazarus died. And still no Jesus. And their friends gathered around because the Jews had these very strict kind of customs and laws about, uh, around death. So the friends come along, and the people and their, their neighbors come along, and they're like, Mary and Martha, we, we have to bury your brother. No, 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 we can't bury him because we know Jesus is coming. He got the word. We heard from the messenger that he got the word. We sent a message. We know he's coming. We know. We know what you're saying, but, 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 but we have to bury your brother now. So they help prepare Lazarus' body for burial, and they put him in a tomb They rolled a stone in front of it. They began to mourn and know Jesus. Isn't that where we live sometimes? Isn't that the inattentive, uncooperative God who is sometimes late? 
And Jesus allowed this situation to happen. It's like he created this that so that we would know that we could carry hope into our future. That's how important this lesson was to Jesus. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days! There's, there's no hope here. Even in their superstitious way of thinking, there was no hope for Lazarus. He'd already been in the tomb for four days. Can you imagine how embarrassing it was for the disciples to follow Jesus into Bethany? Because everybody's staring, I think. They're like, what an insult. You even show your face now. You didn't rescue the one that you say you loved. You didn't even really come for the funeral. He's been in the tomb four days. And now you guys have the nerve to step foot in this town? Verse 18. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Why do you think Mary stayed at home? I mean, Lazarus is dead. He's in the tomb. Why wouldn't Mary rush out to see Jesus? Like, what's, what's going on there? I have an idea. I think she's mad. I think she's angry at Jesus. Wouldn't you be? Jesus, you could have been here. You weren't that far away. You got the message in plenty of time. I've seen what you can do. You could have been here, should have been here. I, I would have. You didn't. You say you love us, but do you really? You have a funny way of showing it, Jesus. You heal strangers and Gentiles and Romans. Maybe you love them more than you love us. Verse 21. I'm putting words in her mouth, but you know, we've been there. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. This is your fault, Jesus. This is your fault. This is on you. But, <laughs> it's just a 180. I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And listen to Jesus' response. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know, I, I know, I know, I know. Like in, in, you know, in that moment when people try to comfort you with things like, well, he's in a better place. Well, at least she's not suffering anymore. So you have permission when someone's comforting you when they say, at least you can smack them. I said so. You'll, you'll see him again. You'll see him again. So Martha thinks Jesus is going into this theological thing. And she's like, well, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Don't give me a theology lesson right now, Jesus. I don't need that. I know we're all going to be resurrected. You're like, you should have been here. And Jesus looks at her and he says to her what he says to you and me. I have a feeling he's like waiting for her to like to make, to make eye contact. I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, you think the resurrection is an event, and it is. And you think the resurrection is in the future, and it is. But Martha, I am resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live, and even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Then he asks her a question I think he asks each of us. He asks a question that will probably mean uh, different things to us at different points um, in our lives and in different situations in our lives. He asked a question that was easy to believe maybe when you were eight years old and heard this in Sunday school. It's a question that got a little more difficult to believe when you're like 17 or 22. It's a question that's easy to believe when you're at church or at camp or at a concert when you're surrounded by Christians. It's hard to believe when life takes an unexpected turn and you have to bury someone you love 
or a relationship is ending, or your kids walk away. Jesus looks at her, and he looks her in the eye, and he asks this question. He says, do you believe this? Like, do you still believe this? With, with all you've just experienced, knowing I could have, you know, kept all of this from happening, do you still trust me? Do you still believe that I'm who you thought I was, even though I have not acted the way you thought I would act based on how, who you thought I was? Do you believe this? Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. Then she goes into her own little theological thing because she doesn't really know what to say or really what to believe at this point. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Then she, then she runs back and gets her sister, and she says, Mary, you've got to go see Jesus. So she runs out to see Jesus, and she has basically the identical conversation with Jesus. And Jesus tells us that when he saw her emotion, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Well, come and see, Lord, they replied. And either on the way or upon arriving at the tomb, John records something for us that is astounding. He records something for us that helps us to understand that when we're, when we're going through the most difficult times in our lives, even though God could have, God would have, God should have, and He chooses not to, it's not because He's distant. But God has the ability to enter into our pain, to enter into our deepest hurt, even, listen, when he chooses to do nothing about it. Jesus paused, knowing exactly what he was about to do, what was about to transpire, knowing exactly how the story would end, <clears throat> and probably for our sake. John says in verse 35, Jesus wept. It's like he's saying, I'm not too big to understand. I'm not too distant. I'm not too almighty to understand your hurt. When you hurt, when you suffer, when you don't understand, when you feel abandoned, I know. I know. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Like, why didn't he do something about that? Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He says, take away the stone. They weren't expecting this because this is a no-no in Jewish tradition. They were confused. Lazarus was like dead, dead. Like, they buried him. He was dead. But, Mar but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time he has a bad odor. He's been there four days. And I think when she says he's been there four days, she's kind of twisting the knife a little bit. Four days. You didn't show up. Remember? You didn't even show up in, before he died. You didn't even show up right after he died. Four days. You thought he died last night? No, 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 no. Four days, Jesus. Verse 40. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, that is, if you trust me, Place the weight of your circumstances on me that you will see the glory of God. I'm telling you, if you continue to trust me, if you continue to believe, if you continue to live your life as if I am who I say I am, you will catch a glimpse of my glory even in your most difficult times. Verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, so he basically, 
prays this prayer, it goes something like this, like, Father, you and I know what's going on here, okay? Like, we know what's about to happen. They don't. So I want them to see me talking to you so that when this happens, they don't go, oh, you're so great, Jesus, but so they realize that you and I are one, that I am come from God, that we are the same, so that you receive all the glory. So here we go. Are they all watching now, Father? Are they all watching? Or are they looking this way? Here we go. Let's do this. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit for the people standing, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus, wait, you're saying that all this drama, all this pain, all this emotion was for people to learn something about God? And Jesus would say, yeah. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Like a loud voice. Like if it's loud enough, the dead guy will hear you. I just love all this drama. And the dead man, I just think so much of it was just for the, for the bystanders, for those who are watching. He cries out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man comes out and his hands and feet are wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Do you know why Jesus had to say this? Because think about it. Nobody's making a move toward Lazarus. I would not be the first one. I don't know about you. It's like, uh-uh, no, no way. This is not, this is not happen. This is n- no, no, no. Hi, Lazarus from a distance. They're all standing, they're horrified. And Jesus is standing there and he has this big smile on his face and nobody's even looking at Jesus. They're just looking at the dead guy. And he's like, somebody help the dead guy. <laughs> Therefore, verse 45, many of the Jews who come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. I bet they did. And the story spread like wildfire. He didn't just like heal somebody. He didn't just like raise somebody from a coma. This guy had been in the grave for four days. There's nothing he can't do. So here's a question. Here's a question. So, why doesn't God do something about that? God, why don't you do something about that? And the answer is, we don't know sometimes. I know it's not very satisfying. Write that down. We don't know. Glad I came to church today. <laughs> Here's what we do know. Because of a day in Bethany with Jesus and some people he loved. Here's what we know. We know that when we ask the question, God, why doesn't God do something about that? We know that he can. And we know that sometimes he waits and we know that we can trust him in the meantime. Why doesn't God do something about that? Well, we know he can. I mean, I don't understand really the whole, all the reasons, but I know that he can. I know sometimes he waits, and I know I can trust him in the meantime. So I know this isn't very emotionally satisfying, but it's the thing that God has given us to hold on to in the midst of those dark times. It was the candle that he handed the disciples because he knew that the day was coming, that they would watch him be arrested. They'd watch him be tried. They'd watch him be beaten within an inch of his life. They'd watch him die on a cross, and there would be no hope, and yet they would remember. And why would God allow that? Why doesn't God do something about that? We don't know, (coughs) but we know that he could. We know that sometimes he waits, and we know that we can trust him in the meantime. And that would be their message after Jesus left this earth. It's been the message and the hope of the church ever since. And if we continue to trust him, 
we're positioning ourselves to catch a glimpse of the glory of God in the midst of that thing that we are absolutely convinced God should do something about. So, when God is inattentive, when God seems uncooperative, when it seems like God is late, we lean into His grace, we look outside our circumstances to the thing that God is doing, and you look for His glory in your circumstances because if you believe, if you continue to trust, you will eventually see the glory of God in your life. We've given our musicians a lot to work on this week, um, the night of worship and all that, so I thought I'd give them a break. I'm just going to play a song. Um, I, prefer, I pray this resonates with you, the lyrics of the song connect with you um, wherever you are, and that ultimately that you find hope in the words of this song. Listen to this. When it feels like surgery And it burns like third degree And you wonder what is it worth When your inside's breaking in And you feel that ache again And you wonder what's giving birth If you could let the pain of the past go
No.